As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, you guys, uh, we have got a podcast we want to tell you about before the show starts off today. And this is Military Murder. You've probably heard us talk about it before. Uh, Margot is amazing. And we have such exciting news. Our episode next week, which is going to be Kendall Francois, a serial killer. We actually had her on the show for that episode. So we wanted to either A, remind you about her show if you've heard about it and haven't listened to it yet. B, tell you about her show so you can go check it out and uh, wanted to be sure that you are ready for her amazingness when she joins us next week. Check it out. Hi, true crime fans. My name is Margot and I am the host of Military Murder, a podcast that pulls back the curtain on cases that are finally getting the media attention they deserve. In 2020, we were all rocked by the disappearance of Vanessa Guillen, a soldier out of Fort Hood, Texas. Well, Military Murder is about cases just like this. Murders that occur around the world at the hands of soldiers, sailors, Marines, and airmen, and sometimes even veterans. Military Murder has discussed family annihilators, serial killers, and people so evil, they have made it on America's most wanted list. But most of them you've never even heard of. New episodes of Military Murder are available every Monday wherever you listen to podcasts. And with over 60 episodes in the library, you will have plenty of content to binge. Now go on, subscribe and listen to Military Murder. Hello and welcome to Killer Queens, a true crime podcast. I'm your host, Torella. And I'm your better, prettier, younger host, Tori. We're sisters who are obsessed with true crime and love gal palin with you about cases. You can expect the occasional curse word, lots of friends quotes, and all the 90s nostalgia. To get in on the conversation, check us out at killerqueenspodcast.com. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook at Killer Queens Podcast, and we're on YouTube at Killer Queens, a true crime podcast. Okay, y'all, grab your Capri Suns or your Surge, and let's talk about some true crime. Welcome back to Killer Queens. Yuck. That was awkward. <laughs> I'll do I'll do that in the style of Joey being an answering machine. Welcome <laughs> to Killer Queens. <laughs> Please pass the pot. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. um yeah. yeah Here we are. Here we are. Hey. So as you all well know by now, the case that we're covering today is the Delphi murders. And you know that because it was on the title. Yep. Of the episode. 
Yeah, unless I decided to be a real bitch. (laughs) Which is not uncommon. Yeah, and called it like, you know, something that it's not. (laughs) You can't even think of anything. I can't even literally (laughs) think of one thing. Yeah. Okay. Well, this is a very, very popular and commonly requested. I don't know what's the right word for that. Yeah, it's heavily, been requested, heavily requested case. Yeah, heavily. Yes. So let's let's thank those people. Yes. Thanks to Mindy Ray, Jessica Pearson, Felicity Kranz, Bianca Stevens, Jenny Justice, Madison Bryant, Melinda Alicia, Leah Beatty, and Carrie Veteronich. I was hoping to God that that's the one that it landed on for you. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm i sure I butchered it. So sorry, Carrie. But thank you guys for requesting it. And thanks to Madison for writing it. Hey, girl. Hey. Thanks. I mean, whatever. Yeah, oh, it was God. I literally, when we record in the afternoons, like, it's like I fell and bumped my head and I don't remember words. And like, I don't know if it's like that after lunch sleepy thing or like your blood sugar crashes like two hours after lunch or something. I don't know what it is, but it's insane. It's literally like when Cinderella leaves the ball and it turns midnight or whatever time she's turns back into a pumpkin. Like that's Torella. Mm-hmm. Yep. Hey, well, we both do it. Mm, I don't, I don't. I meant both think that I do that at all. I think that, well, the proof is well, in the pudding, Torella. It is. And this will be recorded. So let's see how well you do. I hope you're feeling nervous. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I feel like I've jinxed the shit out of myself. So let's move on to all of the bumpiness and calamities that are for sure going to happen. Yep, yep, yep. Okay. So if you're not familiar with the case, here's kind of a brief overview. Monday, February 13th, 2017. This was a warmer than normal day in the city of Delphi, Indiana. I have heard it also pronounced Delphi. I have literally just thought to myself without hearing anybody pronounce it. I was like, oh, Delphi. Really? Okay. I only have thought Delphi. So I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. So she stands alone, I guess. Yeah, I'm going to go with Delphi. I feel like that's how they said it in True Crime Garage. And they're very smart. (laughs) Okay. They're men. So they're smarter than us already. Exactly. It's like we can't even keep up because our brains are so small. Well, and our bones are made of glass. So it's like, you know, we have to double whammy. It really is. I mean, they can't help it, you know? Yeah. So they say Delphi. So I'm going to go with that. All right. 14-year-old Libby and 13-year-old Abby were excited to have a day off from school. They had had a sleepover at Libby's house the night before, and they decided to go for a hike on the Monon High Bridge Trail, which was not far from their homes. Libby had walked the trail several times before, and she was pretty familiar with the area. Libby's sister had dropped them off at the trail around 1.30 p.m., and then her dad was going to pick them up in about two hours. So 3.30 p.m. rolls around. Libby's father cannot reach the girls by phone. He walks the trail looking for them, thinking, you know, they're teenagers, preteens. They, well, no, they're both teenagers. They've just lost track of time. You know, they're talking about boys. Right. Painting each other's nails, probably having a pillow fight out there. They don't know what they're (laughs) doing. They lost track of time. 
Or if anybody has watched Pen15, they're summoning witches and warlocks and things. <laughs> so. Or maybe they're smoking cigarettes. I don't know. Yeah. Smoke with the autumn. I don't know. Too. Yeah. So, you know, he's just like initially not freaking out, you know, just like, okay, let me go walk around and see if I can find him. Um, but he can't find him anywhere. They're still not answering their phones. Like, well, and Abby didn't have a cell phone. Libby did. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. So she's still not answering her phone. And it's just not, it's turning into this, you know, okay, we should have found him by now. Yeah. We should have found it starts to seep in. Yeah. Yeah. We should have heard from somebody by now, you know, something like that. So we get into nighttime. I mean, I can't imagine how stressed out these families had to be. Mm -hmm. And less than 24 hours later, the deceased bodies of both girls were found less than a mile from where they began their hike. It was clear from the scene that the girls had been victims of homicide. But what wasn't clear was who targeted these teenage girls and why their day at the trails had ended so tragically. And it's like a Valentine. I don't know. It's just like, it's hard every day of the year. But, you know, having, I think having something around a holiday is especially, can be especially hard. I mean, obviously that day each year is going to happen. But it's like when so many people are like drawing attention to the day. You know, because it's a, you know, a nationally recognized holiday, it just makes it, I think, just like, you can't not think about it even if you tried. Well, Valentine's Day Forever will be about that, not Mm -hmm. anything else. Like, it's, yeah. Yeah. It's sad. It's terrible. So let's get into who the victims were. I feel like, I mean, we've, gosh, we've covered almost every kind of case at this point. But when it comes to kids, my God, it's just so sad. It's so bad, yeah. Liberty Libby German was born on December 27th, 2002. I know that we have probably listeners that were born in 2002, but it still is like they're wee little babies. I know. That would make them, what, 18 now? Yeah. Hmm. She was born in Lafayette, Indiana to Derek German and Carrie German Timmons. Libby loved sports and was very active at her school. She participated in soccer, volleyball, softball, and swimming. And she also played the alto saxophone in her band at school and was part of the academic bowl as well. So she was super, super smart. I don't know if this is was her thinking. I was in band in school as well, but only because if you took band, you didn't have to do gym. Yeah. And that's basically how I've lived my life since then. Yeah. How do I not have to do gym? <laughs> yeah. I just somehow managed to not do gym. Hmm. And also not do band. Yeah, I don't know how that happened. I Well, because we switched. I remember now. We switched from one school to the other. Oh, right. In the middle of my freshman year. So I took health my freshman, like my first semester at the one school. And then I just took health again and they didn't ask me. You little so-and-so. You lucky duck. Yep. Got right out of it. I did not get out of it. Okay. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. But she enjoyed music and she loved Taylor Swift, Florida Georgia Line, Luke Bryan. Pretty common for that time in the world, Mm -hmm. I think. Mm -hmm. Her Facebook page showed that she was a fan of Harry Potter, Pretty Little Liars, and Zoe 101. She posted tons of pictures of her and her friends posing with each other and doing silly Snapchat filters. I feel like there's so much that just reminds you of how how young they are. I know. I, yeah, I think that it gets, sometimes it gets confusing or like you lose sight of that. Yeah. Yeah, because I feel like like with the Snapchat filters, I mean, I know a lot of different people use Snapchat, but for me, because I am now old, I think of like, you know, because like Andrew's sister when she's with the boys, she'll get Snapchat out and they'll do like the puppy dog face or whatever. And they think it's hilarious. So like, I think I equate it to something that like younger kids like to play with because Mm -hmm. I don't know how to, I couldn't, I couldn't figure out how to use it. Even when my friend Jerry tried to tutorial me on it every day. And I was like, dude, I don't fucking, where's your page? How do I post to your page? (laughs) Like I couldn't, I couldn't understand it. But where's your wall? I want to post this on your wall. Yeah. He's like, there is no page. I was like, I have no use for this shit. I don't know. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Old as hell. Yep. Blonde hair, blue eyed Libby was under primary guardianship of her grandparents, Mike and Becky Patty. She had four siblings, two of whom lived in Kentucky and two who lived in Delphi. Her father, Derek, and older sister, Kelsey, also lived with Libby and her grandparents. Becky said that Libby would often leave sticky notes of thanks or encouragement for those that she loved. And one time she left one in Becky's car, like on the sun visor, thanking her for everything that she did for her and her sister, Kelsey. Oh, what a sweet girl. With such a tender heart. Mm Mm-hmm. She left another one for a band teacher at school saying, band is awesome. (laughs) Her grandfather said that Libby was incredibly generous and thoughtful. And she called him one day from school asking if she could give her leftover money to a classmate who needed it. (sighs) I'm going to cry. I am going to cry on this one. Damn it, Madison. You always cry. She gets me every time. I know. I know. Abigail Abby Williams, who had auburn hair and hazel eyes, was born on June 23rd, 2003. 
in Salt St. Marie, Michigan to Anna Williams. Abby's father wasn't mentioned in any reports that uh, Madison found, I think. So yeah, anything I've read and watched, I've only seen, I've only seen or heard anything from her mom. I haven't heard anything about her dad either. Yeah. She grew up in a loving household with her mother and she played saxophone in the band, just like her best friend, Libby. Abby was on the school volleyball team and also loved crafting and art. She was really excited to join the same softball team that Libby was on in the upcoming summer. She loved animals and finally convinced her mother to let her bring home a furry black cat that she named Bongo. <laughs> That's a cute I, I know that game very well. I was always like, can we please have this cat <laughs> that just showed up at our house? Yes, you were. And I always got my way. Abby loved swimming and being outdoors, and she'd go on camping trips in Michigan with her extended family and loved to ride ATVs, which I'm sure is very fun, but also very dangerous. Oh my God, I'm terrified of ATVs. I know. I've heard of so many things that go wrong. I mean, anyway, that's neither here nor there. This is not a PSA about how dangerous it is. I'm just saying. Yeah, wear a helmet. Yes. On her Facebook page, she listed her job as a taste tester at Pizza Hut, which I love. Dream job. I know. (laughs) Like, uh, maybe I need to rethink my career choice. Yeah. The two girls met each other in 2014 in the beginning of sixth grade at Delphi Community Middle School, and they shared classes and participated in sports together. Their family said that the two girls were best friends and that they were inseparable. And I'm sure every girl, for sure, I don't know if this is a boy thing or not. I know. Yeah, you pick your person and you don't ever leave their side. (laughs) Like you do everything together. You do everything together. And when you're not together, you're on the phone together. And when you can't be on the phone, you're writing each other notes. Or I guess in their age, like maybe texting Texting. or Facebook messaging or something. Well, but Abby didn't have a phone. So right. Yeah, that's true. So maybe they, maybe they did actually like write notes. Yeah, maybe. And stuff. Maybe Facebook messengering or something. I don't know. Yeah, something. Yeah. Okay, so let's get to the day of the disappearance and murder. So school was out. That was Monday, February the 13th. The girls were happy to have a long weekend. And what a cool long weekend to be in February, but also be like unseasonably warm where they could go out and do something. Right, yeah. It's not like this just like frigid, cold day. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They had had that sleepover at Libby's house Sunday evening, and the girls slept in on Monday morning. Don't blame them. Mm-hmm. When they woke up, the day was, like we said, warmer than usual. And it there was a high temperature in the mid-40s with lots of sun. So to somebody, I guess, in Indiana, this is <laughs> unseasonably warm. It's 55 here today and I'm pissed. So I don't, I wouldn't do so well in like no. a mid-40s being warm day. No, the brothers, sisters do not enjoy anything below 75, I think, because if you're if we're getting into the low 70s with a breeze, I'm chilly. Yeah, I'm definitely chilly. I'm going to need a jacket or need mm-hmm. to be standing directly in the sun. Yes, exactly. We're like, Torella has a dog named Owie who's a little schnauzy and he's just shivering all the time. And that's basically us in a nutshell. I know. He wears this sweater, though. He's wearing his uh, hoodie today. That's nice. <laughs> okay, so that morning, so remember they slept in. Derek, Libby's father, made the girls pancakes for breakfast. And then after breakfast, Becky offered the girls some spending money if they'd help her with some filing for her business. So the girls are like, yep, we will definitely help you with that. And they were hoping to go shopping later on that day. It was kind of a spur of the moment decision to go for a hike, but Libby loved taking pictures and both the girls wanted to go outside. 
because it was so warm. (laughs) As they prepared to leave, Libby's grandmother, Becky, told her that she should put a sweatshirt on. So Libby's wearing a tie-dye t-shirt and told her grandmother that it was warm enough and she didn't need one. And Becky remembered her smiling and saying, Grandma, it'll be okay. Carrie, Libby's mother, said that they spoke on the phone that morning while she was on her way to work. They Snapchatted throughout the morning. Carrie did not know that the girls were going to be going on a hike that day. I love how, like, as a mom or a grandparent or whatever, like, no matter if we're leaving the house or just going outside for a minute, I'm like, you guys need a jacket. And they're like, mom, I don't need a jacket. Put your jacket on. You're going to be cold. <laughs> like, well, I'm not cold. Yes, they will be cold. Because I kids know. don't feel, I don't, I mean, 13, 12, 13, 14, I they know. feel it probably better. Maybe. But like if a, if a young person is excited about anything, they don't, they feel, don't cold. feel cold. It's so crazy to me, but they literally just don't. So like if Libby's like, I'm excited to go do this, then it's like all temperature feeling ceases. Well, yeah. And I remember being young and being like at a water, not a water park, but probably like a swimming pool or something like a resort. And somebody, whoever was with us was like, Tori, are you cold? And I was like, no. And I'm shivering. And I think my lips were purple. And they were like, you look cold. And I'm like, I'm not Mm -hmm. cold. Do not, do not accuse me of being cold. I'm not cold. Exactly. Don't call me cold. Don't say me that. Exactly. So Kelsey uh, was Libby's 17-year-old sister at the time. She dropped the girls off near the head of the Manon High Bridge Trail. And guys, we're from Tennessee. We are not from that area. If we're saying it wrong, sorry. Um, You don't have to message us, though. It's really not that big of a deal. (laughs) Because we'll sometimes get like 40 Facebook messages and like, you know, by the third one, we're like, thanks so much. We know. So, yeah. It'll be fine. They get to the trail around 1.30 p.m. at an entrance across from the Mears Farm. So this trail is part of Delphi's historic trails, and it was well-known within the community. The Monon High Bridge, now I'm just like, I know I'm saying it wrong, (laughs) is an abandoned railroad bridge that crosses over Deer Creek. It runs 853 feet long and sits just about 60 feet over the creek. That is a very high and very long bridge. Yeah. And the the name Deer Creek, I mean, it sounds like, you know, this like little creek. Like when I think of a creek, I think of like you can hop over the whole thing in like a long step, you know? Like, like on Robin Hood Men in Tights. <laughs> I can't swim. <laughs> exactly. Little John falling into the creek. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I think of. But this is... This I is call not it that or like a river. It's a river. Yeah, it's definitely it's much deeper. It's stronger. Like it is not a little creek. These trails and the bridge were frequented by teenagers and others in the community. The bridge was used a lot of times for like senior photos and wedding pictures. So, you know, this is something that everybody knows where it is. It's it's frequented by a lot of people, so you wouldn't think Like, I would think that being Abby and Libby, they're like, there's, you know, there's plenty of people there. We don't feel unsafe there. Mm -hmm. And it's the middle of the day. Yeah, it's the middle of the day. And it's not like, it's not like you're back in this area where there's like, it's completely isolated 
and there's nobody else around. I mean, this is a visible area too. Like, mm-hmm. it's not like you're totally undercover of like a bunch of trees or whatever. So, I don't know. It's just so crazy. There is a short trail that would have led in two different ways where the girls were dropped off. So one way they could go to the Freedom Bridge and away from Deer Creek. And then the other would lead to the Manon High Bridge, which is where they ended up. So Kelsey watched as the girls walked towards the trail before driving off. She says she doesn't recall seeing anything out of the ordinary that day. And Derek had told the girls that he'd pick them up when he was finished with his photography job. And he thought he'd be done in like an hour and a half to two hours. And he said he'd call Libby's phone when he was on his way so that he could pick them up. And that way, you know, they'd kind of have that heads up, like, hey, he's coming. Let's make our way back to the entrance. Mm -hmm. At 2.05 p.m., Libby uploaded a picture to Snapchat of the Manon High Bridge. And at 2.07 p.m., she uploaded another photo. This is one of Abby walking across the bridge. So there's two pictures, one of just the bridge, one with Abby walking across it. And both of these were posted to Libby's Snapchat story, which meant that any of her Snapchat friends could see them. So I guess, is your story like your page? <laughs> like I don't, There is no page. You need to just no get the page. idea of a page directly out of your head. But where does everything go? Like, where does everything live? Where do you live in Snapchat? I don't... I have not really used it as far as stories go. I think that there's a screen where you can like scroll and it'll kind of be like feed of different people, like your friends, and you could see their stories and stuff. But if you click on all of your friends, you open up this like blank page and that'll be where you message, send messages back and forth. So when you quote unquote snap somebody, it's like a DM. It's a DM that is deleted after a certain amount of time. Like it, nothing stays on Snapchat. Yeah, I remember when it first came out or when I first heard about it being pissed because Andrew had told me about it. And I was like, that sounds exactly like an app that men could use to cheat on their wives. Yeah, exactly. Like, I was like, I can think of no other reason you need to delete every every conversation that you have other than you don't want anybody else to see it. It's like the Ashley Madison of social media. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously, I wasn't seeing the the future of Snapchat. I was just like, okay, that's for cheaters. You're never well, getting it. <laughs> because I think the appeal at the beginning... And maybe even now, I don't know. I don't, I have one. And because I've, I'm learning that a lot of people want to communicate through Snapchat. I still think it's stupid. I don't, but I don't get it. I just still don't get it. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I don't get it at all. I, yeah, I started trying to learn it. And then I was like, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to not learn it. And <laughs> I'm just going to wait because by the time the boys get social media, Snapchat like may not even be a thing anymore. And even if it is, it won't be the same as it is now. Yeah, it could go the so, way of a vine. You never know. I know. So I'm just going to wait. And then once they get to the social media age, I will then begin learning all of the new social media because I'm going to stalk their asses on it. Yes. So like by the time they're grown up, I'm going to be a pro. I'm going to know how to do <laughs> everything in all these social media things. It's just right now, I'm saving that energy. Exactly. Right. This is your choice. It's not because you're old and you don't know what what anything is. It's because you choose not Mm -hmm. to care about it. Exactly. 
Right. Yeah, I I am personally somebody that I like to go back and reread conversations and like, you know, reflect. I don't know. I don't I do that with like all kinds of stuff. Like I was always that one that if I wrote in a journal, I would go back and read my journal entries. Like I just like to do that. Oh yeah. So if it's gone, I don't like that. <laughs> Mm-mm. Yeah. So anyway, keep going. Anyway, okay. So at 3.11 p.m., Derek calls Libby's cell phone to let the girls know that he's almost there. Nobody answers. Then he pulls into one of the parking lots near the trail at 3.14 p.m. He called his daughter again. No answer again. Concerned because it wasn't like Libby to ignore his phone calls or texts, he got out of the car and he started to walk the trail. At about 3.15 p.m., he reached the point in the trail where it intersects with another trail. He saw a man wearing a flannel shirt coming from the direction of the Monon High Bridge, and he asked this man if he'd seen the two girls. The man said no, but he'd seen a couple on the bridge. This man has been spoken to by police and does not seem to have any involvement in the murder, so this is just a witness at this point. With this information, Derek headed down the intersecting trail that led to the creek's edge. At 3.30 p.m., he reached the end of the trail, hitting the creek, but he still had not found the girls. He headed back up to the trail intersection and called Becky, hoping she could get in contact with Libby. Her calls to her granddaughter also go unanswered. I mean, at this point, you're getting pretty freaked out. Yeah, I was super antsy, like, oh my gosh, what do we do? Yeah, what is going on here? So he walks down the trail now towards the Freedom Bridge. He doesn't see Libby or Abby there either. And then he walks back to where his car is parked. So, and I can understand this would be, you know, like, we covered a case. I think it maybe it was Kyron Horman or somebody. Mm-hmm. Somebody who has disappeared in a younger child. And it wouldn't be uncommon because I'm sure at the same time that you're looking, you're getting more antsy and more nervous and scared and panicky. But at the same time, you're like, I'm going to kill them. I can't believe that they would do this because you want to you want to hold out hope. Like, of course, they're just messing around and being kids uh-huh. and whatever. Yeah. 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 I've I've either like seen or, you know, read about cases where people have felt really guilty for being like, you know, the last thing that I that, you know, during that time when I couldn't find him or whatever, that I was thinking, you know, that I was mad at them because I couldn't mm-hmm. find him or I was mad because they didn't show up to where we had agreed to meet. And, you know, I didn't know that something had happened to them. And it's like, well, of course you didn't know. Like, you know, that's the whole thing is you didn't know. And it's not normal for somebody to have been murdered. And that's why they don't show up to something rather than they just forgot or whatever it is, you know. Mm-hmm. But I always feel so bad for... It's awful, I know. Yeah, because you like, and you know, and parents are going to blame themselves. Grandparents are going to blame themselves. Like, I shouldn't have told them they could go if I had made them stay home or, you know, whatever. It's like all of the Mm -hmm. what ifs and all that gets you. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. So it's about 4 p.m. when Becky and Libby's aunt headed to the trails to help search for them. Becky called her husband, Mike, who immediately left work and he headed to the trails as well. She called Kelsey, who quickly left her boyfriend's house to help look for the girls. So they've got, I mean, they're getting, the, the pretty much the whole family is coming out at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, Libby's uncle, Cody, also arrived to help. So Becky and Cody drove the path that they believed the girls might have taken if they had decided to walk home. So is it possible that they got turned around somehow they couldn't find their way back out. Maybe they're just going to walk home or somebody, she dropped her cell phone, something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or is it possible that one of them or both of them got hurt? Did somebody fall? Did the phone drop out then? Did the phone get damaged? Like there are a lot of different reasons why somebody might not come back right away. And mm-hmm. not be and you not be able to get in touch with them. You know, there's a lot of different explanations and things that could happen that don't necessarily have to lead to them being deceased. And again, you can completely understand wanting to hold out that hope too. Mm-hmm. So Kelsey and Cody walk across the Manon High Bridge and they're able to see down the hill into a private driveway. They called the girls' names for like 20 or 30 minutes, but they didn't hear anything. Kelsey called Libby's cell phone while standing at the end of the bridge. Her phone rang on Kelsey's end, but they couldn't hear anything in the woods. And Kelsey felt that it was quiet enough that she would have been able to hear her sister's phone ring if it was in the area. While still searching, Becky called AT&T and asked if they could search for the location of Libby's phone. And they said they were unable to for legal reasons. And this really drives me crazy. Like, I don't know whose cell phone plan she was on. I would think Becky's on the plan because she called AT&T. Like, Mm -hmm. what security reason is it? She's a minor. Well, yeah, exactly. I can understand if she was an adult, but she's not. And she should whoever is the guardian, which they were under, like she was under their guardianship. Yeah. They should be able to say, hey, I'm, I mean, I don't know. I guess you would need some sort of proof that you're the parent or whatever, but it's like, they should be able to get that information because kids don't get the option to not be known where they are. You know what I mean? Like, right, exactly. And like, I I mean, I know that, I know that there are reasons 
you know, definitely there's reasons that that kind of a thing is in place. But as it stands, I don't know how it is everywhere, but in most places, I mean, I worked at Verizon for a while compared to the other places that I worked. (laughs) And when we went through training, we were always told that if anybody calls, even law enforcement, if they call and say they want to get somebody's phone records or anything like that, they want to ping somebody's phone, that we had a whole department that we could send them to, but they had to come back with a subpoena. We could not give them that information without a court order. Hmm. And I've seen so many cases where that is detrimental. Yeah. Well, like, could we have found somebody? Yeah. And I know that there are cases in which people like family members after their loved one has been murdered, where they have lobbied to change that so that you can access that information without having to have a court order. I mean, even even as far as like the police agency, whatever agency it is that's working on it, the law enforcement agency is the one who's calling. It's not just a civilian person and they won't give that information to them either. That's so crazy to me. Like, yeah, it's just, yeah. At 5.20 p.m., the Carroll County Sheriff's Department received a call from Libby's family. So the two girls were officially reported as missing at this point. The sun was setting. The temperatures were starting to drop. Libby's family was increasingly concerned. And they also, they knew that Libby was terrified of the dark. They knew that she never would stay out past sunset, especially in the woods. And that is another thing that is so heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. Because again, you're looking at, you're talking about a child. Mm-hmm. A child who is scared and alone. I mean, she's with her friend, but as far as like, you're, she's not going to feel safe until she's home with her family. Absolutely. And she's cold. She didn't want to take her jacket. And during the day, that's fine, you know, but it's, and it's like, you're not, of course, you're not thinking that something's going to happen and she's not going to get home in time or mm-hmm. whatever. Like, it's just so many things. Oh, it's so sad. So sad. Becky had tried to reach Abby's mother, Anna, but at this point she hadn't been able to. But finally, Anna called Becky back and saying she just had a chance to check her phone at work because she'd been at work. At this point, Becky and Mike were on their way to the police station to fill out a missing persons report. Anna agreed to meet them at the station. Around this time, police arrived at the trails and began searching for Abby and Libby. Family friends started posting on social media about the girls, hoping that someone maybe had seen them or at least knew where they were. Community members showed up to the trails helping with the search for the girls. But there were over 300 acres of woods around the area. And it was, a lot of it was dangerous to navigate. Kelsey went to the police station to tell them about her last interaction with the girls and to show them the two photos that her sister had posted on Snapchat during their hike. Mike had run back to the house to grab all of Libby's electronics for the police, hoping they could find any clue that might lead them to the girls. Police contacted AT&T in order to track Libby's phone, but reports say that they found her phone to either be dead or turned off. If it was dead, I will be pissed because, again, time is of the essence here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, well, and even with it being turned off, it's like, yeah, had you done this shit when Becky called an hour ago? Mm-hmm. Could we have gotten a location then? 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah, time is of the essence because the the killer could very well have turned it off. Yeah, absolutely. <sighs> yeah, it's so frustrating. I mean, and I don't know what the right answer is. I don't know if it's just ignorant of me to say that law should be changed. I don't know what it should be changed to. Mm-hmm. I just feel like there's got to be a better way. Yeah, it's frustrating to be on this end of it talking about it and being like, wow, could that have been different? Exactly. Could we have had a totally different outcome? It, yeah, it's it's hard. Around midnight, the police called off their official search for the night and they were going to resume as soon as the sun came up. At this time, police reported that they had no reason to believe that the girls had met with foul play. They were mostly concerned about exposure to the elements and the possibility that one or both of the girls had gotten injured. Firefighters, civilians, and the girls' family members continued to search throughout the night. I mean, yeah, you're not going to stop them. They're not going to sleep. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. Like, what are they supposed to do? Go home and just wait? Like, they that wouldn't happen. Absolutely not. Yeah, I, I don't think there's anything you could do to get me out of there until I came looking, home with my mm-hmm. kid. Yeah. On Tuesday, February 14th, Morning News broadcast repeatedly aired pictures of both Abby and Libby, along with information about the girls' last known whereabouts. Police were asking searchers to stay away from the trailhead where Libby and Abby were dropped off in order to preserve their scent for tracking dogs. Which is nice, but they're doing that on February 14th, so I wonder how many people showed up to help search, which is amazing because... You've got people who are just giving their time and helping a search, but yeah, that totally messes up the yeah. tracking if you're going to do scent. I know. Yeah. Did we already kind of like get rid of that possible lead because so many people were already in and out and that's where most of them would have parked, I would assume. Yeah. So you never know. At around 12.15 p.m., Kelsey remembered being with a search group that was beneath the bridge. She said she heard someone from another group yell out that they'd found a shoe and to find out what shoes the girls were last seen wearing. So Kelsey shouted back that it was the shoe that Libby had been wearing. A volunteer searcher then found the bodies of Liberty German and Abigail Williams about half a mile from the end of the bridge and just across the creek. And again, this is not like you're standing here and you look just right over there and it's no bigger than your mom's Jack Russell and you're like, oh, okay. There's everything up there across the creek. It's like a good It's a pretty away. wide creek. Yeah. Because yeah. um, I just, it's like if you hear it, it just seems like how come they couldn't see that before, but it's, it's not that easy. Mm-hmm. The volunteers said that a set of footprints were what led them to the bodies. Abby's mother was at the fire station in Delphi when her former pastor approached her and he asked her if anyone had spoken to her about what had been found. And she's like, no. So he brings her upstairs and he told her that they'd found the two girls and that they were deceased. And she said she remembered the first thing that she said was, Abby's never been baptized. And her pastor said that, Abby had given her heart to the Lord and that he was sure that she was with him today. See, I knew I'm going to cry. I know I can't uh, hear it in your voice. I knew Can you imagine right too, like, that's got to, I mean, that's a hard thing to tell anybody. But like, I feel like, you know, certain members of law enforcement and first responders and 
people in the medical field, it's like, it's not ideal, but you kind of know it's coming. And Mm -hmm. I don't know. I mean, a a pastor is, I know that they're there with people a lot of times, like as they're passing away or, you know, obviously they officiate funerals and stuff like that. But to be the person that's like, okay, I have to, I have to tell you your daughter is dead. Like, Mm -hmm. oh my God. Oh, it's terrible. But I do think that he was probably the best person to be there for her in that moment because if it had been, yeah. If she had tried to have that conversation with, let's say, a doctor or a law enforcement official or whatever, not that yeah. they wouldn't have been the same, but she might not she might not have gotten that comfort like she did with him. Right. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, because if if that is what she's, you know, if what she's talking about is Abby's relationship with God. Yeah. This is somebody who is familiar with that and who has the similar belief and yeah, all that kind of stuff. So I'm sure it was a very comforting conversation. In the, I mean, as much as you can mm-hmm. at that point. At 2 p.m., the police held a press conference announcing that two bodies had been found, but they would not confirm them as being Libby and Abby at that point. They said that the area was now being investigated as a crime scene and that at this point they strongly suspected foul play. A reporter asked why they believed it to be foul play, and the investigator replied, just the way the bodies were found, that's about all we can say at this point in time. And like, if you watch this press conference, it's very, that's all I can say, that's all I can say, I don't know, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Like, they're really trying to pull something out of them, and they're like, what about this, what about that, what about this? And he's like, no, I can't, Mm -mm, I can't, nope, not going to get me to do it, can't do it, not going to do it. That's all I can say about that. But asking me questions, I'm not going to do it. It's like, I mean, and it's an open investigation. Like, of course, they're not going to say all everything yet, but exactly. I mean, they did try. It is frustrating, though. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, okay, you held a press conference. Like, you called me to tell me that you can't talk. Exactly. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. And the investigators are like, look, we talked till we were blue in the face. Okay. How many times do I have to? I've already told you. You know what? I'm not going to repeat it again. Not going to tell you again. Told you once, you're not listening. (laughs) Exactly. So let's get into the evidence. On Wednesday, February 15th, autopsies were performed on the bodies that had been found. Around 3 p.m., police confirmed that the bodies were those of Abby and Libby and that the case was being investigated as double homicide. The cause of death was not released. However, rumors from those who attended the memorials for the girls said that they both were wearing scarves, which led to rumors that the girls might have been strangled or had their throats slit. This has never been confirmed or denied. And I think we probably should say, probably should have said at the beginning, but better late than never. There is not much information as far as like confirmation from law enforcement about anything. Because it's still an open case. So they are keeping a lot of things close to the vest, which is understandable. But at the same time, when it comes to reporting something like this or talking about it, we don't have a lot to go on. It's mostly speculation. Yeah. Kind of piecing it together ourselves. Yeah. Piecing it together from, you know, what little information they've been able to release. So this is something that is, I mean, a lot of people are obviously keeping a watch on it because it's such an emotional case and something that you want to see solved. But yeah, there's not, there's not a ton. So mm-hmm. we're working with what we have. Exactly. So just after finding the bodies, police immediately shut down the area and began to process the crime scene, looking for any evidence that would help figure out what happened to the girls. 
Not far from the bodies, the police found Libby's cell phone, which helped solidify their timeline that they'd built. They also discovered a video that Libby had taken of a possible suspect. The whole video has not been released to the public. However, police said that the girls were initially talking about things girls talk about and then mentioned a man walking behind them, which has to be so terrifying. But it's also, this is one of those things because I know as when I talk about like younger kids and stuff, I'm like, oh God, they document everything. Like, what is the point of this? But in this situation, I'm like, thank thank God. God. Yep. Thank God. Yes. Because otherwise there'd be literally nothing. And I mean, so far, obviously we haven't found this guy, but this is a huge lead, like a huge huge piece of evidence. Yeah. Yeah. So the video that she took then showed the man walking towards them. This man was wearing what appeared to be a bulky dark blue jacket and jeans, and he looked to have some sort of pack on his waist and to possibly be wearing a hat. Some people believe that he looked to be carrying a gun on his waist. They said that the attack was not captured on video. Abby's mom said in an interview that she'd watched a bit more of the video and remembered that Libby said something like, well, the trail ends here. We can't go any further. Hmm. The police released two to three still shots from the video showing the man. There was audio on the video as well. The police that was released to the public was a man's voice. And what they release is very quick and short and tiny. Mm -hmm. And it just is a man's voice saying down the hill. Mm -hmm. And it's very like run together too. It's run together. It's one of those things that like, if you didn't have a, a a subtitle for it that says down the hill, you You may not recognize it as down the hill. I and didn't. I had yeah. to go back and read because I I mean it, it happened so quickly, I didn't mm-hmm. even read it on the screen. Yeah. Down the hill. Like it's it, mm-hmm. it's run together. Yeah. If you didn't know that's what you're looking for. So to me, it sounds like that's what he's saying. Mm-hmm. But that's also what I'm listening for because I already had the the transcription yeah. as down the hill. So I don't know. I'm interested to know, like, if anybody else who's listened to it, if you feel like you hear anything different. I mean, it definitely sounds like down the hill to me, but just out of curiosity, does anybody feel like it's different or? Because yeah. it, it, it does seem like the consensus is that he says down the hill. Like, I haven't, I haven't really seen people be like, I don't think that's it. Well, and I know that audio engineers and things like that, they can go in and clean it up and like, mm-hmm. it can become more clear. Yeah. What somebody is saying, but. It's an interesting thing to keep in mind. Like, do did somebody... Because you never know. That's why yeah. it, it sometimes is a good thing to have like armchair investigators where people see things and they're like, oh, wow, I didn't even see that before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or listen to something like, I kind of want to take the clip and just play it for like Andrew, although he has really bad hearing, so I don't know. But like, play it for somebody who's not familiar with the case. And I'm n- I wouldn't tell him what it says. He says down the hill. Like yeah. I would be just interested to see somebody with no knowledge of the case. What do they think he's saying without having that predisposition of this is him saying down the hill. Yeah, absolutely. So Sergeant John Perrin of the Indiana State Police said that once they got to the trail, somebody was following them. While they weren't sure who the man in the video was or what their connection to the girls was, Police strongly believed that he was the murderer. Libby was hailed a hero for her quick thinking in recording the video and giving police what seemed to be the only lead in finding who murdered the girls. Mm. The video was the key to leading investigators to their first move of the investigation, which was releasing a sketch. In July of 2017, 
The police released a sketch of the man that they believed to be the man in the video on the bridge. The sketch depicted an older male with facial hair, a large nose, and wearing a newsboy cap. The sketch was made based off of witnesses who had been on the trails that day and information gathered by investigators. After the sketch was released, tips began to pour in, all leading to dead ends. And unfortunately, it just really looks like nothing really happened for two, close to two years. Yeah. So then we jump to April of 2019. The police released a new sketch. This sketch seemed to be drastically different than the initial sketch. And it showed a younger man with a thinner chin, no facial hair, and a thinner bridge of his nose. The man had short curly hair and hooded eyes. And the public felt extremely frustrated because they'd been looking out for somebody completely different for two two whole years. Yeah, they'd been looking for like a slouchy, sloppy guy. Like <laughs> older, sloppy guy. Yeah. Uh-huh. So what they've been looking for, they have to completely shift to somebody completely different. So it's like, if they had been looking for this guy in the beginning, who knows who has seen somebody who fit this description? Right. And they didn't know it. I don't understand. I don't know. In watching the video, like, where are they getting... Where are they getting this? Just... Where are they getting what? The new face. I have no idea. Maybe we'll get into it in just a second. But unless it's eyewitnesses, I have no idea. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, they say that the original sketch released in the summer of 2017 showing a man with a goatee and a driving cap is, quote-unquote, not presently a person of interest in this investigation. She says it's not like we're just doing a new an updated sketch of the same person. These are two different people. So apparently they found, maybe they found this guy that they initially thought was following them and checked him out and cleared him. Yeah. And they say, according to an ISP release, the new sketch of the clean-shaven man is representative of the face of the person captured in the video on Liberty German's cell phone as he's walking on the high bridge. I mean, obviously, I don't have specialty video equipment, but the first sketch is what the what I feel like the person walking toward them looks like. Well, that's what I thought whenever I watched the video. I was like, oh, okay, that makes sense to me, especially uh-huh. the cap. It looked right. Very much like he was wearing that sort of uh, hat and kind of longer, scruffy hair coming out from underneath of it. And he seemed to be, I don't want to say overweight, but you know what I mean? Like he had a, a larger build. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think overweight is a is an appropriate description. He's deaf. I mean, he's not, he does not look like he's fit necessarily, you know? Like, yeah. So is this person wearing like multiple layers of clothes to disguise his frame? Like, I have no idea. I have no idea. It doesn't make any sense to me. But if this is what we're going with, then I'm glad that we have the sketch out there, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. So the police defended them coming out with this new sketch saying that the new evidence had been presented and that they felt that the sketch was more accurately a depiction of the man in the video based off of witness reviews or witness interviews. In hopes of adding to the sketch, the police released a one to two second clip from the video. 
The same image was shown in the previous release stills. However, this time the public was able to see how the man walked and how he held his hands. While some people believed that the man had a unique gait, others who were familiar with the bridge said that it would be difficult to walk normally on and impossible to run. Police also added to the down the hill audio and there was a new clip released that said, guys, down the hill. It's unclear if the suspect is saying all of these words in one sentence or if guys was taken from another part of the video. Police said that they believe the suspect is, quote unquote, somewhere between the two sketches. Apparently, the newly released sketch was created around the same time as the first one, but initially wasn't thought to be as credible. But when asked questions about the switch of sketches on her Twitter account, Kelsey Libby's sister said that she was under the impression that there was a new development and that she's happy with the new sketch and that it had been released. She said that there were reasons for why police withheld the new sketch in the beginning. It seems like there were witnesses who saw the man around the same time that they saw the girls on the trail and that these witnesses may have seen his face. During the same press conference in April, police said that they believed the suspect to be from or at least familiar with the Delphi area. He may have lived, worked, or routinely visited the area, and this is thought to be based off of the difficult terrain and unfamiliar area that the girls were found. Kelsey said in a later podcast that she believed that the suspect had walked that bridge before. She agreed that that only people in Delphi knew that the bridge was there, and she continued to emphasize that the bridge is terrifying to walk across. And in the pictures in the video, it is high Mm. as hell. There are no railing. No railing. It's just a straight drop. Yeah. Like you, if you take a tumble, you're a goner. Yeah, for sure. It's so scary. Kelsey also said the man appeared to be comfortable with the way he was walking across the bridge. They said that they believed him to be between the ages of 18 and 40 years old. However, he might appear younger than he actually is. I can understand that you can't pinpoint the exact age of somebody. 18 to 40? I know. Like, guys, that's a big gap. Yeah. They later added that they estimated him to be between the heights of 5'6 and 5'10, weighing between 180 and 220 pounds with reddish brown hair. There was physical evidence collected from the scene, but none of it has been publicly addressed by the police. There is, however, police scanner audio discussing some of the items, which include girls' undergarments, and cigarette butts. But it's important to remember that this was a very public area and the pieces of evidence collected might not have even been related to Libby and Abby's murder. Right. There was also DNA evidence recovered from the scene, but it has not been released as to how much and who it belonged to and whether it is related to the girls or their murderer. I feel like, I don't know, like the new sketch information, the hard thing, it's almost kind of the same thing as like hearing that audio and I only hear down the hill because I've been told he's saying down the hill. Mm -hmm. For me, when I see the video clip of him coming toward them, I can only see the face of the first sketch. Mm -hmm. I can't put the second sketch anywhere in here. Like my brain can't do that because my brain has already said the first sketch is the face of the man underneath that hat, underneath that coat. Like, well, yeah, you've been like conditioned to have blinders on. Yeah, like it just, that's, and again, I understand, you know, that you're basing things off of 
what you found and witness statements and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, maybe some information will change and you'll find, you know, a witness that you didn't maybe think was credible, you know, whatever. I get, I get that things changed, but that makes it so hard when you're asking for the public's help because everybody already has gotten in their mind, like, I'm looking at this image. I'm looking at this, you know, short video of this man walking. And all I can see is that other guy. That Mm -hmm. second sketch, I just can't put, I can't put those two together. My brain can't reconcile them. I don't know. It just, no, but I I can understand that completely because if we're talking about a subtle difference, like maybe he had green eyes instead of blue. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. That's fine with me. It's impossible to reconcile the two because they are completely different people. So completely. It doesn't, it's just, it's it's difficult to wrap your mind around. You're like, no, I don't know. I just, I can understand a subtle difference, but that's, yeah. And I mean, you know, that the difficulty of that is then you're hoping that somebody who was on the trail that day is going to remember this person and, you know, or, or somebody who knows him might, you know, see him or even if you don't know him and say you're at the gas station and you see somebody and you're like, holy shit, that looks like the composite, you know, whatever. Like mm-hmm. once you, once you have the composite and that image and the video together in your head, it just muddies the waters. Mm-hmm. And I just don't know how many people are going to be able to completely separate from that. Well, yeah, it's confusing. And then, yeah, move to the second one. And that's what they're on the lookout for now. It's just... Well, and I can understand there are certain pieces of evidence that they don't want to release because only the killer would know these things. Right. However, if that's all we're getting is this little bit of evidence and then mm-hmm. it changes... Mm-hmm. it's not going to be easy to yeah for people to help and come forward with anything. I just don't think right. that that's... Yeah, and I understand not wanting to give away some of the details of like exactly how they were killed or, you know, like you said, some things that only the killer would know. But if there is more audio that's not inappropriate to hear because of something happening during that time, or if there is more video and it's not inappropriate to watch because of, you know, something violent happening, like, I feel like they should release as much of that as they can to the public mm-hmm. because all we have right now is basically like a GIF. It's it's like so short and such a just snapshot that it's yeah, like... And it's, and it's grainy and the... So grainy. It's four words mm-hmm. that may or may not be said at the same time. Yeah, exactly. That are probably, it could be pieced together. <laughs> Just, yeah, really, really difficult. But another piece of evidence that police requested the public's assistance with was regarding a vehicle that was parked near the trail. The vehicle was spotted parked at the abandoned Child Protective Services Center between noon and 5 p.m. on the day of the girls' murders. The building, now demolished, was not far from the trail where the girls were last seen. They've requested that anyone who saw a vehicle there or might have been the owner of that vehicle contact them. Again, and I get it, I I get I can see both sides of it, but it's frustrating because it's like if you tell somebody, hey, we had a blue blazer. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, what here. vehicle? Yeah. Wouldn't that be a little bit more helpful because somebody's like, oh, yeah, I think I did see 
a vehicle. I don't know. I don't know. It, it, this is very Bardstown to me. Mm-hmm. The limited and almost non-existent evidence that they're giving, but they're asking for the public's help. Like, you're not giving anybody anything to go on. Right. Yeah. It's frustrating. Yes. 100%. Okay, so let's get into theories and possible suspects. To be clear, there have been no suspects named in the case. There have just been tips that have led to investigations into certain people, but like we said, no solid suspects. So these are the theories that are most commonly mentioned while researching this case. The first one is Daniel Nations. So in October of 2017, Daniel Nations was arrested in Colorado for threatening people on a hiking trail with a hatchet. Nations had failed to register as a sex offender in Indiana after multiple charges of public indecency. At the time of the murders, he was homeless and living about two hours away from Delphi. While Nations was in jail, his wife admitted that there were many similarities between her husband and the initial sketch released by police, though she didn't believe him to be the man in the video, based off of the unlikeliness that her husband would dress that way. When asked if she thought her husband could be involved with the murders, she said that she couldn't say one way or another. That's, that's a, you might want to rethink this relationship kind of thing. Like, if, if you can't be like, 100%, no, he wouldn't, he wouldn't murder people. Yeah. Exactly. Like, I, I really don't know what he, who he has a problem with or what he would do. Yeah. If there's a question there, I think, I think it's time for a new, new relationship. Probably. Yeah. So the day following the murder, Nations had checked in with Morgan County Sheriff's Department, which was a requirement for him. It's unknown where he was on the day of the murder. His wife said that she had an ultrasound that day, but she can't remember if he came with her or not. Nations was also considered a person of interest in the murder of a cyclist in the same area where he was threatening people with a hatchet. And police later said that they no longer considered him to be a strong person of interest. It's a coincidence, though, that when he lived in Indiana, two people were murdered and he was at the very least in the area. And then he is in Colorado, basically living like in a tent in the woods. And this guy goes riding his mountain bike and he gets murdered mm-hmm. in that same, I don't know, area, same like trail or woods area or whatever. I don't know what you call it. And he was in both areas and he's from Indiana and now he's in Colorado. Like that's a big. Well, if we're talking about common denominator. <laughs> right. Yeah. So that's, and I don't know, I don't know if he's still a person of interest in the, I can't remember about the, the case of the cyclist. I read about that one briefly and I can't remember if there has been an outcome on that or if it's still unsolved, but at least in the Delphi case, he's not mm-hmm. a suspect anymore or a person of interest. I mean, in January of 2019, police arrested Charles Andrew Eldridge during an undercover sting operation in Union City, Indiana. Eldridge went to meet what he thought was a 13-year-old girl for sex, but instead met an undercover police officer. Can you imagine being that police officer and not being able to beat the shit out of this guy when you meet him? 
oh, I know. Like, I would be seeing red. I do not understand. I don't understand it. I just Mm -mm. do not understand it. Why? Why? Why would you want to go meet a teenager? child? Yes. Under the assumption or understanding that sex will be had. That is disgusting. You're a grown-ass man, and you're going to go try to meet up a 13-year-old girl for sex. I just cannot. It's disgusting. Maybe we should start an operation because you almost got picked up by a school bus one day so we could pose (laughs) you as the child. And then whenever they come to meet, I junk punch them. And when they go, (laughs) why? I say, you know why. Exactly. (laughs) And Um, then I get arrested for underage prostitution. Yep. And I get arrested for assault. Yeah, exactly. And he goes, probably. Yeah. So probably that's not the best uh, plan. We'll have to rethink it. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll figure some more options out. out. Yeah. (laughs) It's fine. Um, so yeah, so he meets an undercover officer. He was charged with two counts of child molestation, one count of attempted child molestation, and one count of child solicitation. He wasn't considered to be involved in the Delphi murders until his mugshot appeared on news broadcast and people saw the incredible similarity between him and the original police sketch. Eldridge was not ashamed to admit that he'd had several sexual encounters with children under the age of 13. What a fucking piece of shit. I I don't. He regularly posted articles about sex crimes, missing children, and murder to his Facebook page, Mm -mm. even posting articles about Libby and Abby days after their murders. While police saw the clear resemblance between the photos, they were unable to find any evidence to link him to the murders, and he was placed on the back burner. Yuck. Ugh. <sighs> I, so, ugh. yeah. Both of the two suspects or two theories that we, Terrell, just discussed were considered prior to the second sketch being released. So, mm-hmm. just say that right now. In July of 2019, so, you know, that second sketch was released in April of 2019, a man named Paul Etter was wanted by police for the kidnapping and sexual assault of a 26-year-old woman. He ended up dying by suicide after a five-hour standoff with police. He more closely resembled the first sketch, but police had said again that they do not believe the person from the first sketch to be the suspect. Why was, why did he, they even put him in the, like, yeah, they're like, he could be a suspect, but we believe that he did not do it. Yeah. He looks exactly like the guy who we know didn't do it. Yeah. But we're just gonna, we're not gonna rule him out. Yeah. But he was involved in a standoff. So they're just like, okay. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. Okay. I'm gonna say, yeah, I'm gonna say for sure that like, I'm gonna just pull that one kind of right out. In November of 2018, Thomas Bruce was arrested in Imperial, Missouri and charged with first-degree murder, sodomy, kidnapping, and several more. He had brandished a gun and forced three employees of a thrift store into the back room, threatened them, and shot one in the head. Mm-mm. Why? Like, ugh, so maddening. Like, why, why, why? It's senseless. Yes, yeah, so senseless. It's like, your mom, your sister, your dad, your uncle, your brother, like whoever goes to work that day. 
and then you never see them again because somebody fucking flew off the handle. I just don't. Oh, it makes me so mad. The public was quick to note his similarity to, again, the initial sketch and the murder in Delphi. He had multiple female victims. He used a weapon to control the victims, and he committed multiple violent acts that appeared to be acts of opportunity. When police arrested Bruce, they found he had attempted to dispose of blue jeans, a blue Carhartt jacket, a gray page boy cap similar to the outfit of the man in Libby's video. Investigators looked into Bruce's possible involvement. However, nothing has been publicly announced regarding their findings. But again, he closely resembled the initial sketch. Right. I don't... Have they found anybody that resembles the second sketch? I don't. As of now, no. (laughs) Right. A widely argued theory is that the girls were victims of revenge. Between September of 2014 and April of 2015, Derek, Libby's father, was arrested multiple times. Once was under the suspicion of trafficking methamphetamine, and another was a charge of possession of methamphetamine. After his second arrest, he was facing a heavy jail sentence. Reports say that he turned state's witness and began to cooperate with the DEA. Shortly after, several houses were raided around Indiana and led to many arrests regarding drug trafficking. So this included Gabriel Ellis of Kokomo, Indiana. Ellis was not immediately caught, and a large manhunt went underway for the man, who was considered armed and dangerous. And in addition to his drug charges, Ellis was also wanted for charges of child exploitation and child pornography. How many people live in the world? Mm-hmm. that are into child pornography. I don't cuz I don't, don't want to know need, the answer. I know. It's that's a terrifying question. Like we need to obliterate all of them. I know, we don't need any of them. Like mm-hmm. we have plenty of people in the world. Drop them into a volcano for all I care. Yes. Like I just cannot. What, like what is wrong with people? Mhm. Okay, so he, when he was found, he was with a 16-year-old runaway. He was arrested just one day after Libby and Abby were found dead. In July of 2018, Tyler French was also arrested on similar drug-related charges that were part of the initial sting that led to Ellis's arrest. So now we have kind of a synopsis of what people think Ellis and French did. And... I mean, it's it's conjecture. This is a theory, which is all we have in this case, right? Because the police won't tell us anything. Right. And again, we understand a big part of that. But like, I don't know. It's just everything that we have. It's just like, and then we have nothing. Like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. So what people are saying is when Derek German started cooperating with the police, Since he'd been involved in trafficking of methamphetamine, he gave the DEA information that led to Ellis's arrest. This was the catalyst for Ellis to look for revenge. Ellis knew that he was being sought by the police, and he knew that Derek was the reason why. So people believe that Ellis was, quote-unquote, catfishing Libby and Abby for several days prior, pretending to be a 19-year-old boy online that was interested in meeting up with them. They went to the bridge that day in order to meet him. On the day of their murder, Ellis was waiting to see when the girls arrived at the bridge. 
French was waiting down below the bridge. And when the girls were about 70% of the way across the bridge, Ella started walking behind them. And that's when Libby began filming. When he reached them, Ellis branded a, brandished a shotgun. He walked with the girls down the hill where they met French. The four walked across Deer Creek and onto a nearby property with several structures. This was where the girls were killed. Ellis looks similar to the initial sketch the police released, and French looks almost similar to the most recently released sketch. Those who believe this theory also believe that police know that this is what happened and are involved with keeping it quiet. Ellis is also thought to be a suspect in the disappearance of an 18-year-old girl in Kokomo. Both Ellis and French are currently incarcerated for drug crimes. Hmm. I mean, it's possible. Yeah. It's it's kind of a crazy story, but does seem like it could be possible. Yeah, if if it is true that Derek is cooperating with the DEA and stuff like that. But again, is that is that even something that that is confirmed by anybody? Well, yeah, that's the thing. It's like we again, <laughs> I get it, but we know so little that now we're just like, okay, well maybe this is it. It's like we don't even know enough about it to know if it's true or not. Right. And I feel like when you get to this point and you want to know answers and you're getting nothing, you can very easily just believe things mm-hmm. that could or could not be true or start maybe even make stuff up because you're like, you want to know the answer. I don't know. Yeah. Also, like, I mean, if this is the case, if this is what really happened, that seems like a lot of extra work mm-hmm. to get revenge against somebody when I would think this guy like knows where he lives or could easily find out where Derek lives. Like, why would you have to lure the girls? Like, if you if you have people helping you, if you're if you're a drug trafficker, I don't know, seems like you'd have people that can come over and they could just bust in the house and shoot Derek if they want or shoot other people. Like, I don't know that he would need to do Go all, through all that the, trouble. Yeah, like yeah. getting on to Snapchat and luring them. And I mean, I don't know. Maybe he did. Maybe he wanted to hurt his daughter to get back at him kind of thing. But yeah, he could have also just killed him. Yeah. And it seems like that would have been pretty easy to do. He could have probably known where his you know job was or whatever the case is. Mm-hmm. And also, it seems like the whole Snapchat and luring thing would be pretty easy to find out too because is that they have the cell phone. Is that information on there? Oh, but like you said, the Snapchat stuff goes away. Well, but from what I gather, unless you delete uh, delete the chat, like what is said is deleted, but the person, it would show that you had been messaging them hmm. unless you deleted that. And I wonder if Snapchat keeps record of that for like situations. Purposes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't know. I don't either. So there was a search warrant served on the home of Ronald Logan. Logan owned the property where the girls' bodies were found. While Logan had run-ins with the law, generally involving alcohol use and operation of equipment, investigators said that they did not believe Logan had anything to do with the murder. Unfortunately, regarding this case, much of what the public knows is built on conjecture and rumors, like we said. These are a few of the common questions and rumors that circulate about the murders. None of these have been confirmed by police or the families as far as we have been able to find. 
the girls were threatened with a weapon and that is how the man controlled both of them at once. Some people think that the man in the video had such a bulky jacket on in order to conceal something, possibly a weapon. Both families have emphasized how close the girls were and that if one were in trouble, the other one wouldn't have left her. This may have made it easier for the man to control both of them. Mm -hmm. The girls were killed somewhere else, then moved to the location where they were found. Some of the volunteers said that they were sure they searched the area that they eventually found the girls in during the search on the day they went missing. There were several structures located near the area that were similar to like a large shed or barn. If they were inside of the structures, one would have good visibility of the surrounding area. However, they wouldn't have been easy to see if someone was passing on the trails or the bridge. Some speculate that the girls were killed here and then moved to the location afterwards. There have never been any arrests or solid suspects officially named by police in the investigation. No causes of death or information regarding the injuries of Abby and Libby have been released. Police have kept everything in the investigation extremely close to the vest, saying that they want to prevent anyone or anything from disrupting it. They have said that they want to keep information from the public so that they confirm they have the right person when the day comes. Investigators do not classify this as a cold case as they are still receiving tips daily and investigating them as they come in. In a recent interview, Carrie, Libby's mom, said that she doesn't get many updates from the police and that she fears the case will never be solved. Kelsey, Libby's sister, is extremely proactive about finding her sister and Abby's killer. She does many interviews and answers questions on her Twitter account. In 2019, Becky, Libby's grandmother, was diagnosed with a rare form of endometrial cancer. She has remained positive about fighting her diagnosis. She said, quote, it's a win-win situation in my heart. It didn't hit me as hard as maybe it would have because I thought if I don't beat this, I'm going to be with Libby and wait for my family. And if I do beat this, I'll get to look for her killer, end quote. Mm. I know. There's, that's so, that's so sad. It to is be so sad. like, I mean, you know, just like, okay, well, if I don't, if I don't beat this, at least I get to be with Libby. Mm-hmm. And if I do, I can keep hunting for her killer. But like, Either way, her hope is like she has cancer and her main concern is finding out the truth and finding this killer. And like, yeah, either way, she, you know, believes she'll be able to do that. Oh, it's just so sad. It is so sad. Kelsey has spearheaded the process of building a memorial park in Delphi called the Abby and Libby Memorial Park. With donations, events, and sponsors, they are in the process of building a community area with baseball and softball fields, an amphitheater, picnic shelters, playgrounds, and walking trails. This was designed with the girls in mind, highlighting the things that they enjoyed so much. And if you have any information regarding the murders of Abigail Williams and Liberty German, please contact the Indiana State Police or the Carroll County Sheriff's Department. And... We definitely would love to hear your thoughts and like what you think about what you think about the case, what you think about the sketches, what you think about the audio and the video that has been released. There actually is an app called Crime Door, which we've been starting to hear a lot more about. But on Crime Door, they have different like it's it's supposed to be like a true crime like quote unquote experience. You can listen to podcasts on it. So some of our podcasts are on there for cases that they've listed. But you can also, they kind of do these like AR kind of 
experiences with some of the Mm -hmm. cases. One of them is Delphi. They just released it. It's like an animated video. So they took the video that we have released of the man walking toward them on the bridge. And they've made it like this computer, like 3D animation. So you can kind of get like a 360 degree view of it. And like they have filled in like what the bridge looks like behind them and all the way around and all this stuff. So it's pretty interesting. So you can go on there and and take a look at it and see if it, especially people in that area, mm-hmm. see if it sparks a memory or something. I mean, the guy's face is kind of like, he's like a faceless man. It's like not there, but, and also, am I just being, am I just being stupid? It's quite possible. They said that there was somebody walking up behind them. Mm -hmm. And in the video, there's somebody walking toward them. Yes. And the first sketch was supposed to resemble the man walking toward them, correct? Yes. And then the police say, this is not the, this is actually not the person. We thought this was the person, but this is not the person. Now the person is this skinny, curly-headed dude. With no facial hair. Is this the person? Yeah, with no facial hair. Is this the person that was walking behind them? And like the whole time we've been looking for the one. Like, does this render that video useless now? I have no GD clue. And what I feel like is if that is the case, the people of Delphi and everybody in Indiana and everybody in the entire world has got to be like Sally Field on Mrs. Doubtfire, like, the whole time? The whole time? The whole time? Yes, exactly. Like, that's what we've been doing, so I don't know. I mean, because they're they're still, like, like, that's the video that, like, Crime Door has made a 3D animation of, so I I don't know. I'm just... Well, if some more information would be nice because people wouldn't be wasting their efforts on something that may or may not even be... Yeah. ...worth wasting it on. Are we talking about somebody began walking behind them is the person walking behind them at the same time that this guy is walking toward them? Or are we to believe that they, that, that somebody began walking behind them, they felt nervous about it. Did they then turn around? And, and mm-hmm. they were like, okay, I'm going to face this person. And now I'm going to walk towards them because maybe if he knows we're here, you know, he, he won't follow us or something like that. Like, are these two separate people or, is, or do they turn around and now they're facing the person that had been walking behind them? Right. The answer to your questions is yes. Exactly. And no. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And no. I just and if if there's somebody out there that knows this, I mean, am I just asking dumb questions? Like, I don't know, but I just feel confused by the whole thing, if I'm being honest. Yeah. Same girl. I agree wholeheartedly. And I don't even know which way is up anymore. So no, I don't. And it's just so sad. It is it's so sad. And God, every case needs to be solved. <laughs> yeah, this is like, again, your worst nightmare. Sorry. Girl. I hate it. Yeah. Especially this kind of case. No, all unsolved. Yeah. Anything disappearance. I don't want to hear about it. That's yeah. not true. I do because I think we never know who can know where, you know, like if we talk about it, somebody be, might be like, oh, I totally know someone, so-and-so that, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like I get why we need to talk about them. It leaves me with such a state in a such such a state of unrest. I get so upset about it because I'm like, what do I do with this? There's no closure. I can't do any. I, where am I supposed to go from here? Right. Exactly. It's it. Yeah, it is. It's it's tough. I'm starting to rethink my uh, 
your love for my interest <laughs> in unsolved cases because it's yeah and it's it's been a rough couple months over here I feel like and we've done a ton of them it's been kind of unsolved heavy I know and heavy heavy is how I feel yes exactly yeah well thank you so much for listening and we will catch you on the next episode bye bye Okay, you guys, we have a wonderful listener, Dana, who is about to share her story with you. And we did not know this despite being women ourselves, but January is Cervical Cancer Awareness Month. And she wanted to share her story just to help other people hopefully prevent what she went through. And she sent us a few stats too. So I wanted to share a couple of those and then let her share her story. It's really quick, but... I think it's really, really important, and I hope you guys do actually um, listen to it. Please don't skip it, and make sure you schedule your appointment with your doctor. Um, But apparently, more than 13,000 women are diagnosed with cervical cancer every year in the U.S., despite it being a totally preventable cancer. Cervical cancer is the fourth most common cancer among women globally. And cervical cancer is, like we said, 100% preventable. So make sure that you are getting a pap smear yearly, even if your doctor says that you don't need one. And um, take a minute, listen to Dana, share her story. And if there's somebody that you know who's been talking about putting off their appointment, maybe just encourage them to go ahead and get that on the books. And we just wanted to use this opportunity to spread the awareness because it was something we weren't familiar with either. But without further ado, take it away, Dana. Hey, how you doing? If you own a cervix or care about someone who does, I'm begging you, do not skip this message. Did you know that January is Cervical Cancer Awareness Month? Most people don't. It's not really something we like to talk about. However, Tori and Torella have been kind enough to let me briefly share my personal story with you. It starts off with me. My name is Dana. I'm probably a lot like you. I spend my weekends listening to true crime, watching Dateline and various 90s teen movies. I live in the burbs with my husband, a cat and a dog. I'm sort of weird, but I can act normal when I need to. Does any of this sound familiar? What about this? I have always dreaded going in for my yearly lady doctor appointment. Pelvic exams, pap smears, literally all of it. It's the worst. It's uncomfortable. Why can't they warm up any of those tools? It also is kind of embarrassing. And it's just really not what you think about when you think about having a good time. But what if that uncomfortable five minutes could save your life? Because it saved mine. I wasn't sick. I didn't really have any symptoms. But when I went in for my dreaded yearly appointment five years ago, my doctor found a mass. She didn't seem overly worried, and so neither was I. She took a biopsy and sent me on my way. I really wasn't even thinking about it when my phone rang about five days later. I was actually in the grocery store parking lot getting ready to buy some chicken. But instead, the words, I'm so sorry, but you have cervix cancer exited my phone and shattered my life as I knew it. I didn't buy any chicken. I called my mom, I called my husband, and I went home. Did I cry? I don't remember. All I remember is that I was 30 years old and possibly going to die. 
But spoiler alert, I didn't die. Some days I wanted to. I sat through five rounds of chemotherapy, 28 rounds of external radiation, and five rounds of internal radiation. You think a speculum is uncomfortable? It is nothing compared to a giant radioactive wand. But after all of that, I'm still here. I'm cancer-free, and aside from some periodic side effects from my treatment, I'm doing great. I try not to think about what would have happened had I missed that fateful appointment five years ago. But I do know that with every passing day, my cancer was growing. That pap smear saved my life. Now, had I went in earlier, the doctor could have caught it before any abnormal cells turned into cancer. But that's what I want for anyone that is still listening. Don't skip your appointments. Deal with five minutes of discomfort so that you don't have to endure what I endured. Cervical cancer is preventable, so let's prevent it. Thank you for letting me share my story. Let's prevent my story from becoming your story. Minus the true crime in 90s movie part, because that's a great story. Lilas. All right, you guys, before we uh, wrap up, we've got some new patrons that we want to say, hey, girl, thanks to. Yay! Oh, my voice went out. Yay! (laughs) (laughs) I really am excited. It just, it failed me. (laughs) I'm sorry. Um, Hey, girl, thanks to Emily Lynn S., Jasmine H., Morgan B., Kristen B., Chelsea I., Nikki D., C. A., Amanda G, Sayward H, Sherry, Kendall S, Wendy H, Jamie O, Samantha S, Elizabeth D, Orchidia C, Alexandra M. Thank you guys so much. We love you so much. Yes, we're obsessed with you. We cannot do it without you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Hey, also though, I do want to say something really quick. If we just said your name... Or if you are a patron and we've said your name a long time ago or whatever, if you did not add, because I see a lot of the people actually on this list did not list a physical address. So if your tier comes with something physical that you're supposed to get, like a sticker or anything, and your address isn't in the system, we can't send it to you. So we just want to make sure that you guys know that if you sign up and you want to get physical goodies, make sure that address is in there. Otherwise... We can't guess where you live. So we just want, um, that's something that we've noticed that like a lot of people don't realize they need to put their address in. So just a little quick, you know, make sure we have all your correct info. Cause I think a lot of patron accounts, uh, pull information from like Facebook or something. So it could be wrong. Just want to let you know. Yeah. Just go back, make sure, maybe update it and just keep doing that until we can, become clairvoyant because that's hopefully I'm really hoping that one day I'll be able to yeah we're working on it for sure yeah the technology is not there we've got somebody working on the tube technology <laughs> but thank you so much yeah, again we love you we love you so much and uh yeah bye bye we'd love to hear your thoughts on this case connect with us on Instagram or Facebook to continue the conversation thanks for listening and we will meet you back here next week bye, bye. The theme song for the show is created and composed by Stephen Toby. You can find more of Stephen's work on SoundCloud. Our logo was created by Sloane Williams of Sophisticated Crayon. You can find more of her work on Etsy. Visit us at KillerQueensPodcast.com for merch and other info about the show.
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 